Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much uh, for joining us on this episode of BeastPod. Uh, my name is Ian, and I'm delighted as ever to be joined uh, by my partner in crime on this show, Mem. Uh, fresh back from holiday, Mem, uh, and fresh back to talk about Barnet. How are you doing this evening? I'm good, thanks. I didn't. I wasn't actually on holiday. I was lying. I just uh, put on a stupid accent when we first said hello. So, uh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> the first, the first of many such. Uh, untruths. I mean, we're going to come back to your pre-season predictions uh, towards the middle of this show. Uh, so listeners can make judgments for themselves about your reliability, man. Uh, <laughs> but obviously that's a little dent in my book. We're also delighted by someone to bring a bit more gravitas to the show. Uh, we've had him on this season. We're delighted to have him on again. And that is uh, John Lewis. How are you doing this evening, John? Yeah, very good. Great to be back. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to have you on. And, and thank you so much for joining us because... Um, this has become a bit of a regular feature for us to kind of do a show looking back at uh, the season that's just gone past. Um, and it's been quite the season. <laughs> um, I, I've got kind of in my mind the show that we recorded almost 11 or so months ago, 10 or so months ago now, where we looked at the season. We were really excited having done the interview with TK and talking about the new model. And we had that picture of the sort of eight members of the backroom staff. Uh, and we thought, wow, this is really the start of something. Um, and we found ourselves... Uh, in quite a different position, shall we say, uh, in October and November. Now, just before we start, um, we've been really fortunate to receive loads and loads, dozens and dozens of questions. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and address these as we go through quite organically. And then when we get to the end, if there's anything that we've not discussed, um, we will do our best to address it. But I, I think actually quite a nice way of, of starting off, I'm going to go to Mem first of all, um, is uh, a question that's coming quite a lot. And it's basically... Considering the start of the season, considering the first few games of the season, um, this is from Daniel, he says, is this an acceptable season? Um, and I guess, Mem, when you take everything into account across the, all the games we played this season, are you kind of happy or where are you at um, now that the, the final whistle was blown on the Bromley game and we can kind of really look back on the season as a whole? I suppose as a whole, you know, when, you, when you're feeling your way through the season, there, there's, there's been so many ups and downs in this season. There's been runs of poor performances, runs of really good performances. But I suppose if you take it as a whole, we've got 50 points and that's a considerable uplift on what we did last year. And I think it's important to to take that into consideration because you don't suddenly just make up 50 points from season to season um, to get yourself suddenly in the playoffs and, you know, fighting for promotion. So now we've got a base of 50 points and the idea is next season we have to add another 10 points or add another 20 points. But I mean... 10 to 15 points, I think, is a reasonable expectation. 65 points gets us looking around the playoffs, doesn't it? So I think we have to take it that, look, look just look at the points total and, and take that into consideration where we were last year, this year, where we want to go next year. Um, John, uh, to yourself then, I guess the first part of Daniel's question was really about the first seven games or so of the season, which was the cure era. When you kind of look back then as a whole, how are you feeling about the season? I know it's not been like a kind of classic or one for the ages, but would you have taken kind of a lower mid-table finish before the season started? Or do you kind of feel a sense of disappointment and frustration perhaps that we didn't get off to the best start and we only really started delivering some good performances once Brennan took full control? I think it's probably the latter of those two. So looking at the season as a, as a whole, I think a finish of 18th is quite poor. I mean, we finished below Woking, Wildstone, Maidenhead, Altrincham. But I have to say equally, I mean, I remember coming out of that Bromley game in September, Kewell's last game. If you'd have told me then that we're going to finish 18th, I would have bitten your hand off. So I do think 
Brennan did a really good job of stabilising the ship. I think the last, whatever it was, 37 games of the season, that's actually a reasonable foundation for, for next year. But a year ago, I would have expected us to finish higher than 18th. It's, it's interesting, you both uh, talked there about sort of reasonable foundations. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think at the start of the season, we we kind of predicted as a pod that we would finish lower mid-table. And I think that's probably been, we probably finished roughly where we deserve. I don't think we've been as poor as the, t- the teams at the bottom. We certainly haven't, I think, even begun to threaten the bucket above that, which is the mid-table teams that are kind of in and around 12th to 15th. But obviously, man, one of the areas that we're really falling down in is, is our defence. And downhill second half put together a fantastic set of stats around kind of relative uh, defensive performance. I think our defensive performance this season was in the top or the worst five seasons we've ever had, um, or at least going back about 50 years or so. Um, we also conceded the second highest amount of goals in the in the league, and that's second only to Dover. Um, and when you consider the, the struggles that Dover have had on and off the pitch, that's quite worrying. So I think taking into account them, Mem, the goals conceded, some of the hammerings that we've received as well, um, is there a danger that we've kind of like built uh, a season without particularly strong foundation because it doesn't look to me like there's a huge amount of positivity to take out of some of those big defeats and that defense and, and shouldn't that be you know ultimately the foundation of everything we're doing so is it true to say that we've actually got you know it's a simple task you know we've gone from a which was last season to b which is this season and on to c or do the data kind of suggest that actually there's a few more issues there that need to be fixed i don't actually i mean i, I mean i think it's really clear make it clear I don't think this is a back four issue, per se. This is a team trying to defend issue. And that means that every player is involved in, in, in the strategy of defending, which starts from the front. And this season, um, and it's interesting actually, at the Supporters Association um, uh, Awards on Sunday, I actually had a a nice chat with one of the players um, who plays in defence. I won't, I won't um, mention his name. And he said to me that, it's like the Alamo because the players in front don't protect the defence. So it's always becomes attack v defence. Um, and if you watch it, and we've picked up, we picked up on this and we talked about this on, on the very recent podcast. What I think Dean has to do now over the summer is build a side that knows how to defend from the front and or a team that knows how to defend as a unit and not just leave it to the, the back four to basically do any kind of defending. Um, and I think that's key. I think that's why the, the figures are so high is because it is fundamentally the whole team is is poor at defending. Um, and that to me is the is make or break or whether or not Dean Brennan will have a successful season next season if he unlocks, if he finds players or manages to coach the players in a way that they will be able to protect leads. They'll be able to, you know, keep in game, stay in games and not get battered off the park in the first half an hour because they're leaving massive gaps in, in midfield or massive gaps down the wide areas. So that's, I think that's, I think that'd be key is, is unlock it is making sure that we find players who can, who will put in the shift and defend. Does that sort of tally with your experience then, John, of seeing, I mean, I think you've been to certainly of the three of us, the most games this season, and you've obviously seen the good, the bad and the ugly, um, and not always an equal balance. Um, in terms of those big defeats then, like, was it kind of, to your experience of sort of watching the same game on repeat or were there sort of different patterns that popped out in these games? Like, what was it that you felt was going wrong for us in those big games that, to be honest, I think every other side in the league didn't have quite the same difficulties we had against the, the sort of top seven or eight in the, in the division. 
I think there were a couple of different things. Um, I think some of it was just conceding goals early, and I think our heads did drop a bit. Um, I'd agree with Mem. I don't think, um, for the most part, it was the responsibility or the fault of the individual defenders. Um, I think some games we just got completely overrun in midfield. I think some games um, the front three just got so far adrift up, um, kind of up front, that they just weren't contributing anything defensively. Um, I think Dagenham was a good example of that. Um, and I think sometimes just tactically in the midfield, we gave teams too much space. We didn't set up when we were going into some of these games as clear underdogs. We didn't set up kind of just to try and keep it tight and solid and compact and frustrate the opposition. I think we're a little bit naive in some of those games. Um, but I think it was a combination of things, really. And I guess that, that also raises a couple of questions then around the extent to which, you know, where things haven't quite gone as well as they could have gone this season, where does that kind of responsibility lie? And I guess there are probably a couple of, of kind of buckets you could put the responsibility into. Obviously, it's going to be a mixture of all of them. The first one is kind of the recruitment over the summer um, and whether or not that was up to scratch. The second one was feeding into that kind of cool and, and whether or not he was responsible as the first team coach albeit under the director of football model whether that kind of worked out um, the third model is is kind of Brennan's tactical approach and then I guess the fourth bucket or the fourth model would be the players themselves I mean we kind of touched a bit upon Brennan's tactical work there with with both of you and your answers but in terms of like the players themselves man do you feel that our kind of recruitment got it right this summer if not why not and I guess, like, you know, if you're kind of Brennan, and we'll come onto the squad in a moment, like, what are the kind of immediate pressing priorities that come out of, 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 this, uh, of this season in terms of tactical setup or indeed in terms of, like, kind of personnel um, that we need to look to bring in for next season? Um, I would say that there needs to be a slight change in the, in the profile of the players that we're bringing in. We're bringing in a lot of very neat and tidy players, but not a lot of players that can cover ground, um, which means that, uh, you know, and not just meant necessarily midfield, but if they're playing in a forward area, they need to be able to get back um, and need to be able to get in the wide areas. Um, I think, it's, you know, all the four things you were saying, I think it was a combination of everything. I think the fact that we had put these pl- people into uh, positions quite late in, in the day, which meant that they were sort of, you know, picking up the, you know, the, the bit of the leftovers, what everybody else was having, ha- contributed to it. I think there's a lot of it, some, some of it I, I'm... I think some of the professional pride was probably missing with some of the players as well. Um, and I think, it, you know, and then obviously some of the tactics. I think it's a combination of everything. I think to, to, to go into a season and look, concede so many go, uh, so many goals and have such an up and down season, it's never going to be just one thing. It's going to be a combination of different things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, um, you know, if, if it was only one thing, we probably would have been higher up the table. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, John, yourself there, I guess in terms of the, the kind of quality of, of players and, and, and squad, did you kind of know within the first seven games that, you know, this is a group of players that were never going to really rise above 18th, 20th, whatever it was in the league? Um, or did you kind of feel that they were being capped so much by Q that, you know, we were never going to get there, even if they had, you know, more technical ability than they were showing? Like, how do you kind of apportion the, not so much the blame, but the kind of, reasoning behind our positioning is it is it the players was it the the kind of recruitment or was it um you know the kind of tactical approach from the managers at respective points in the season um i think it was probably a combination i don't think we recruited particularly well in the summer um i think it was a bit hurried um 
the fact that we've burned through quite a lot of players over the course of the season, I think, is illustrative of the fact that we were sort of scrabbling around um, trying to plug gaps. Um, I don't think Kewell's tactical nous was very good at the start either. I think um, he didn't really set us up with any kind of with enough kind of beef in midfield. We got overrun too easily. We didn't cover enough ground in midfield. Um, some of the tactical decisions under Kewell were were pretty bizarre to be honest I think Brennan probably showed um, especially in those first 8 or 10 games he showed what you could get out of that squad and I thought he did pretty well in that regard Um, but I think it's quite telling I mean I think the new signings that we made um, this year uh, Marshall, De Havilland, Greg O'Cox I think the fact that they made such an improvement also speaks to the fact that we didn't recruit particularly well in the summer and I think we lacked a bit of balance in our recruitment um, I actually thought we recruited quite well in terms of defenders but I think um, we lacked we lacked enough um, kind of heavyweight strikers and um, I thought the midfield looked really light and given that we were rebuilding a whole squad I think I would like to have seen a bit more balance across the pitch in terms of our recruitment yeah, I mean, I think that's that's something we're going to come on to now then is, is kind of looking to rebalance this squad and, and, and kind of what we look to do over the summer is going to be really important going into next season. In our interview men with uh, Dean and Dave at the time, we, you know, we talked a little bit about recruitment and they mentioned how that process really began all the way back in almost November time when they were looking at that real sort of lead, long lead in to actually the new season. And we've got to hope, you know, we've heard on the, on the kind of grapevine that Dean's got a couple of players that he's ready to bring in straight away that are going to sign on that on that bit there. Go on, man. So apparently six lined up that on, I think one day in June, um, they'll be free of their contract and apparently they're signing for Barnet. That's, that's what I've been told. Well, I mean, hopefully they're, they're good. Uh, <laughs> but to be fair, at least, at least it, it's a positive sign at least that we're going to have those players ready to come in, ready for pre-season um, and, and those have been agreed in advance. A couple of kind of good questions here then on, on, on squad development, squad recruitment. Um, one of them being about kind of getting the balance right um, in terms of like, you know, avoiding a massive churnover. Um, but let's start by perhaps looking at the squad itself. And for those of you that aren't aware, I'm just going to quickly run through the names now. So we've got, and this is just done on the, on the sort of squad numbers, but we've got Thomas, Howe, Turley, Richard Everton, Hall. We've got Marshall, who's on loan from Stevens. That loan will end this season. Uh, Louis Walsh, Daniel Powell, Mason Clark, James Callan, Marriott, Greenwich on loan from Bolton. That, that loan will end and I think he's out of contract. Flanagan, Granville, Fongook, Harry Taylor, Tasman going back to peace, but probably not coming back. Widdowson, Vassalou, Beard, Askew, Azaz, Oxford on loan, and that will probably finish. I think there's been quite a lot of uh, league interest in him. Woods to Haviland, um, and then a couple of uh, sort of youth players and Grego Cox back from Crawley. I'm going to go to um, John this time round. Just looking at that squad, uh, John, obviously we haven't had the release list come through, but it's still worthy of discussion. Where do you kind of see, first of all, players that we think we should really try and keep from this list? And second of all, players that you think actually we, we probably want to move out the door and, and perhaps look for better options there? I mean, I think in terms of the players we should be looking to keep, um, I think it's mainly actually around the defenders. Um, we probably won't be able to sign um, Greenwich, but um, you know, um, I think obviously Richards Everton, I think is, is still got another year of his deal. Um, Turley and Widowson, um, I think there could be two really good centre backs at this level. We're definitely going to need, I think, strengthening in the goalkeeper area. Um, I don't think any of the three um, that have played this season um, can really start next season, and I think. Um, 
we're going to need probably quite a lot of work in midfield as well. I think um, we're quite lightweight there. And I think um, Marshall I've been quite impressed with. Um, obviously, his loan expires. Um, maybe we can try and sign him. I expect that Harry Taylor will probably leave in the summer. Um, again, there's questions to which position you, you put him under, but he's definitely somebody that I think um, if he does go, um, that will be a pity, um, but it will be someone that we need to replace. Um, and I think we also need to, we're going to need to strengthen up front. Marriott's had a really good um, second half of the season, but I think um, to really push on towards kind of top half, we're going to need somebody who can partner Marriott up front. He's done really well on his own, but that's an area where we've really struggled all season. Um, Efron, I guess, has been um, one of our best players going forward. I expect that he'll go in the summer as well um, for a fee. So that means we've probably got um, quite a lot of refitting to do up front as well. Mem, what about yourself then? I, I know you've had a, a, perhaps a bit more insight on, on the squad dealings after the game on Saturday. What, what can you sort of tell us about, A, first of all, where we're at in terms of where other people are at in terms of their decisions, but also um, kind of what you think in terms of the best way forwards for the, for the group? Okay, so I've got... I don't have anything. I can't confirm anything because obviously I'm hearing it. There's still a lot of decisions still haven't uh, hadn't been made by the time I sort of spoke to people on Sunday. But um, Oxborough, I think, is going back. I don't think he's coming back to us. So we'll definitely be in the market for a number one keeper. Um, we've got Harry Taylor is definitely going. Uh, he's got he's got three offers on the table. I've heard, um, and I think he just needs a fresh challenge. Um, you've got. Turley's 50-50, he might go, he might not, he might stay. I think I think if there's an offer for him, I think we won't stand in his way. Uh, Greenwich's wages are far too high for us, so he won't be staying. Um, he's I think he's on ridiculous money at Bolton. So unless he really cuts his um unless he really cuts back on what he wants, um, on what he was earning, um, I think he'll be out of our price range. Um, who else is there? So in so Flanagan and Woods, um, We'll be here next season, but Flanagan Woods are both going to have operations this summer, so we don't know when they're going to be back. Um, we don't know if they're going to be back in time for the start of the season, so we definitely need bodies in midfield. I would suggest we need definitely need two players with some um, with some engine on them. I think that would really help, especially the way our team plays with where we like to go toe to toe with teams. Uh, Efron has got a year left on his contract. Um, however, I, I asked Dean outright, and he wasn't giving away too much, but I asked him outright, I said, he's not going to be here next season, is he, Dean? Um, and he said to me, well, as long as a, if a club comes in with a bid for a, a, you know, a bid that Tony accepts, um, but he's got a year left on his deal. Gregor Cox, I think that's 50-50, because I think Gregor Cox, there is a will there to come to Barnet. Um, I think the problem is, is that, he was on a decent wage at Crawley, but I think he sees Barnet as being a good a good place to rebuild his career because it's not far from where he grew up and it's where, where his family's from. So potentially Gregor Cox 50-50. Marriott's 50-50. So Marriott has been offered an improved deal. Um and he has is much, much improved. And he's been he's added also there's been additional um uh add-ons has been added into his contract around goal bonuses and things like that. So he will be um so he's got a decision to make because I think other clubs are in for him now. I think he's, woke, he's you know, obviously his success has highlighted other teams, has highlighted um, his profile to other clubs. Um, who else am I missing um, in our squad? Wes, I think, is 50-50. 
Um, he's got another year left on his contract um, or he's got an option on his contract as whether or not we decide to take up his contract. Um, who else am I talking about? Ryan de Havilland will be here next year. Sam Beard will be here next year. Um, I think Jerome Thomas. Taz Demir's gone missing. Um, he got he got lost somewhere. So there's um, there's currently a um, Interpol are currently looking for him. And um, who else am I? Have I missed anything? Anybody? I think you've got all the main ones there. I think you've kind of gone through everyone. I mean, I think that the main... Look, we obviously know that there are going to be squad changes. Um, and I actually, I think when you talk about a couple of players that both of you have mentioned there, Harry Taylor and Efren, like, you know, as good as they are, I think it is really worthwhile that we we show that there are, there is a pathway for players who leave Barnet. You know, it's not just about kind of people coming on their way down. We've been really fortunate in some ways to see players like Ronnie Edwards and Jack Taylor kind of go on. And I think that's part of letting those players go is, is about making us a really attractive proposition to some young and hungry players so that they know they come to Barnet and it's a stepping stone going on from there. So that's no bad thing. Um, I guess that the kind of the really interesting ones really are, are you know, what, where do we look to kind of improve and recruit? And we've got a kind of an interesting profile of player. If you talk about Turley, Richards Everton, uh, Powell, Marriott, you know, good players, the kind of core I've seen, Widowson, but they are the wrong side of 30. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's been challenging for us has been these injuries. Um, we know that we're going to have some operations, as you mentioned, with Flanagan and Woods, who are two of our younger players. You know, we probably don't want to be relying too much, especially with our injury records, on um, our players who are the wrong side of that, not least given that we, we've seen the evidence of you know, something that's not quite working at the Hive in terms of medical rehabilitation for our players, or at least medical and, and injury prevention. So in terms of like the profile of player, you've kind of talked a little bit, um, John, about the kind of positions and, and looking for, um, you know, strength in terms of like supporting Marriott in particular and a goalkeeper. What sort of like market do you want us to kind of play in? Is it the sort of, you know, ex-pros coming down from the league with that experience? Is it the kind of young, hungry, unproven non-league gems that carry a little bit more risk to them? Is it trying to poach perhaps a couple of players off, you know, National League North sides, a bit like the sort of Sam Beard signing that we got from Dorking? Like where do you sort of see, you know, Brennan looking to kind of play in and, and do most of his recruitment? I mean, I think in terms of the profile, I mean, I'd say um, firstly age-wise, I think... There's that sweet spot between kind of 24 to 28. I think uh, we've got lots of young players. We've got probably a few too many sort of older players with injury problems. And I'd like to see us going for that middle bracket. In terms of the kind of uh, level, I think probably players from other conference sides, possibly from conference north and south sides. I think I say that partly because in the past, I think a lot of the players we've got out of the league um, have often tended to be on the older side. They've been dropping down because they're injury prone. And I think just given our relative budget position in the conference now, there's a lot of big spenders in the conference. I think it's going to be hard for us to tempt quality players out of the league. So I'd probably go for um, other players in the conference plus kind of players that are doing well at step two. Mem, what about yourself? Would you kind of agree with that? Or do you feel that there's you know, a couple of areas that Brennan might be targeting that we haven't discussed yet in terms of where he's going to get players from. So, I mean, I've, I've said this before, I would prefer, I would like a lot more players to come in up divisions or, and I've also said this before, I'd like us to go and go, sh go shopping in the best, the best of this division, you know, um, in uh, the, uh, that are part-time or uh, are in a lower half of the table. So a bit like getting an Adam Marriott from Kings Lynn, somebody who is, um, 
one of the better players from the teams that are currently around us who um, who will improve us and also weaken them. And um, and also we can use our sort of, you know, we've got a bit more financial muscle to go and steal a player off a Dover or steal a player off, you know, like a Kings Lynn. So I'd like to do that. Obviously, you can't build a whole team around that. And I'd also like maybe a Gary Breen type to go and play with um, with Ben Richards Everton. So I think Turley was supposed to be a bit like that. But I think so much has gone on within the season. I think I've got a funny feeling that both him and the club just are kind of sick of the sight of each other. So I kind of feel like um, it might be like somebody like an experienced head to play with Ben Richards Everton. Um, and and some legs, some you know maybe you know like a Jack Barham type. I, I know what Jack Barham to me was flawed a little bit and technically, but that kind of somebody with that kind of hunger, who's going to come out of that division and he's and he's going to be you know a little whip it or just generally just add a bit of energy to the side. I think just one other thing to add in. I think the timing of when we recruit is really important. I think what has hindered us certainly two years ago and to a lesser extent last season, is that we were just quite late in assembling the squad. And if you assemble a squad late, it means they don't have much of a pre-season, they've got less of a time to gel. And I think that's been a factor in the slow starts in both seasons. And I hope that this time round, we can really get off on the front foot and recruit quickly. Um, that's what we did really well in 2014, which is probably our best sort of summer recruitment that we've had in the last decade. And I hope that we can kind of get our skates on this time round. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think I, I was guilty of falling into the trap, certainly two years ago, of saying that, you know, it makes sense perhaps in a compressed market with smaller squad sizes to wait to the end of the window. But that's just absolutely not the case. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. And it is really positive, Mem, if, if what you're saying there does come true, that we do get those players in early doors. That just shows us that we're, you know, we're, we're just a step ahead of where we were last year and the year before that. And that's really it. You know, the bare minimum is that we're making progress and that, you know, that's a positive sign. Um, just as we, as we draw to a close in the first part of this session, looking forward then to next season, we've talked a little bit about with Mem, this kind of platform that we've built. And we've also talked about the limitations there. A couple of questions online about kind of expectations and, and kind of what we should be aiming for. And I think one of the things that Mem and I have discussed a lot this season is just the level of professionalism and the standards in this league that have really significantly improved. And I appreciate that people do make comparisons to 2014 or they make comparisons, you know, back even earlier to the sort of Marsdala, Peter Shree's handover, I think, in 0304. But my sense is that in order for us to be really competitive at this level, we've still got a little bit more in our journey to go to. And my, my question to you both then, starting with Mem, is, you know, first of all, do you agree with that? Do you agree that, you know, to succeed in this league and be challenging in this league, we need a bit more, a bit longer than just one good window in the summer? Um, and then secondly, what should the kind of expectation be going into next season based on the performance this season? Obviously, we'll review this later on in the summer, but at least now, what would you be hoping to see from Brennan next season that would suggest we're on the right track? We'll start with Mem, first of all. OK, so last season we got 31 points. This season we got 50. If we were to boost our, if we were to get a another 15 points, which is which equates to obviously uh, five wins, that would take us up to, to in this season to about 12th. To me, that would be progress. I think 50, five extra wins this season, extra wins or five, whether five draws or whatever you want to call it, and scoring. And I'm looking here just to get into the top 10. So to get into the top 10, actually, we need about another eight or nine goals. 
So if we can get eight or nine goals next season, above what we had. Eight or nine points. So eight or nine goals and five more wins. Yeah. That would jump us up into roughly, even like maybe five wins and a draw would jump us up into almost the top 10. So, and that to me would be progress from where we are because that's, you know, accumulating that many points in over two seasons to, to make that jump by about 40 or 50 points is quite a decent, is quite, uh, no, sorry, 65 from 30. Yeah, make a 30 point, 35 point jump in two seasons, I think is quite decent. So we're never going to get 94 points like Stockport. So from where we are, our base of 50, let's look for another f- maybe 15, 16 uh, points on top of that and about another seven or eight more goals. And that would comfortably get us into close to, uh, comfortably get us to about 10th-ish. Uh, John? Um, I mean, I think we should be aiming for the top half. Um, I think um, we are quite a long way off the playoffs. And I think a big difference between certainly 2014-15 and our previous spell in the conference is just the the quality of teams. Supposing Wrexham go up via the playoffs, I think you've still got a lot of quality teams left. I suspect that the likes of Southend and Dagenham, possibly Torquay and Yeovil, will be eyeing up doing better next season. And I think if we can finish about 8th or ninth, if we can have a season a bit like 2014, where we, outside the playoffs, outside chance of making the playoffs, come up just short... I think that would be a good um, outcome. I think it's probably too much for us to um, get in the top four or five uh, next season, just because I think the quality of teams now in the conference means that's a really big leap to make. Um, but I would expect us to make a fair bit of progress, and I think top ten um, would be a reasonable aim. Yeah, just looking at the stats as well. I know this. I know this sounds silly to stats, but I think. The really important thing to do when you're built squad building, and this is something that, that um, I learned off Martin Allen, and I learned off a book that I read ages ago, was that what you do is you set yourself objectives and you look at the numbers that you want to achieve over the season. You say, that's my target points. If we get that target points, we'll, we'll meet our objective. So looking at it currently, we are averaging, this season we averaged 1.1 points a game. To get into the top 10, we have to, order, we have to, we have to average 1.5 points uh, a game um so what that essentially means is that we got to um what's called is that a win every other game so win every other game to to be able to basically and when that will get us comfortably in top 10 to get us in the playoffs you're looking at at the moment increasing that to almost 1.7 points a game so you can see there how big the margin. So 1.1 points a game to 1.7 to get us in the playoffs. So realistically, if we can get like a win every other game, that will get us. That will get us. You know where we need to get. We need to be. And I think Dean at one point was averaging. Was it averaging two points a game at one point? Close. I mean they, that spell yeah. between when he took over and actually just before we did the mid-season review, I think we were going along at almost two points a game. Yeah, so there's definitely potential there, right? If he if he does sort of get it right in terms of, and I think obviously I know it's a, it's a kind of a moot point now because we played every single team in the season, but it, it, I do think the start last year really didn't help. Like I'm not saying that the cure era, you know, in some ways maybe it was a blessing, right? We got rid of cure early on, but 
if you have a really poor run of games or you don't quite have the games in the right order, it, it does make a real difference in terms of your momentum and your ability to kind of string together a, a run of results at the start of the season. Um, and so I don't I think it would be very difficult for us to come up with a, a more challenging run of fixtures than what we had last season. Um, and I do think that was a contributing factor. So I noticed looking back actually the if you take the seven teams that Kewell played in his first seven games and look how we did under Harry Kewell against those seven teams, I think we only actually got four points. I think it was the win at Eastleigh and um, as a... Sorry, this is when Brennan, Brennan took uh, Sorry, over. yeah, when Brennan took yeah, over. If you look sure. at those reverse fixtures, I think it, we only got four points. The win at, win at Eastleigh and another point. So actually, yeah. interestingly, Brennan didn't do much better against those seven teams than Kewell. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think that's, you know, as I said, it's, it's very easy to, you know, to slag off Kewell. And, he, you know, he was not good. And I'm glad that he's no longer the manager or the head coach. But... It is just worthwhile, as you said, putting that into context there. Well, guys, thanks very much for a really good first half of the show. When we come back, we're going to have a little look at some of your questions and discuss some of the things off the pitch. Um, but we're going to take a one-minute break and we'll be back for you in just a second. Uh, well, welcome back, uh, everyone, and thank you for sticking with us. Um, on the final part of the show, we're going to move away from uh, the on-field matters and just talk briefly about a couple of kind of off-field matters um, in terms of the club and the sort of state of play. And it seems reasonable to address these at the end of the season um, after another year. Now, we sort of said half sort of tongue-in-cheek that uh, with Barnett, it's never going to be dull off the pitch. We've seen, um, you know, uh, the incident with obviously Jamie Turley that's uh, cast a shadow over the club for several months of the season. And from sort of talking to some people who are work at the club has also had, you know, a longer term impact perhaps on, on the players than it certainly did for, you know, for those people outside of the club or outside of that dressing room. We obviously saw again a couple of statements at the start of the season, uh, as per usual. Um, and the kind of usual kind of grumblings a little bit around, um, you know, the kind of direction that the club is heading in. Uh, but similarly, we have seen some positive steps forwards. And, you know, while the attendance data wasn't particularly positive in terms of, uh, you know, uh, it, it's not perhaps where we wanted to be and making the club sustainable and, and growing the fan base at the hive, it certainly didn't dip to the levels that I think some people were worried it might do, um, you know, this season. And, and that's, a you know, certainly a positive thing uh, to have some growth uh, on the on the season before COVID. Um, but I'm going to sort of just jump through a few questions here. And I guess, you know, the first one really is um, is one from, uh, I guess it could have been asked a couple of seasons ago, really, but it's kind of asked continually around the, the plan. Um, and obviously, Mem, this time last season, we had a very clear plan around director of football, around a recruitment strategy, around a new kind of set of structures around the club and behind the scenes with various members of staff. That that season or this season, that's somewhat unravelled, really. You know, we've seen uh, the, the the head coach leave, Dean Brennan assume responsibilities for four, kind of all first team affairs. Uh, we've also seen Dave Anderson leave, um, and a bit of sort of discussion online as to whether or not that was you know mutual, not mutual, whatever. We're not quite sure what's going on there. So, Mem, first of all, in terms of the structure and the plan, where do you think we're at, and do you think where we're at is the right place to be? That is a really interesting question because I'm not even sure where we're at um, at the moment. Um, I think I think quite clearly, I think Dean likes to... Uh, Dean's a bit of an obsessive. He likes to control everything within the club, wants to be have his finger in the recruitment, wants to be in the finger in the coaching. And the, the sort of the traditional manager's model, I think he's more bought into. I think he, from what I understand, he was prepared to give it a try with the old director of football. Um, and I think 
clearly he when he I suppose it's it's difficult when you're somebody who's quite young and you're going into that kind of role. I think it's very difficult to see somebody and not be looking at it going, I wouldn't do it that way. I'd do it my way. So that kind of thing. So I think in some respects it work it's working at the moment because Dean clearly has the ear of the chairman. Although from what I understand, you know, it's not like a, a you know, um they do cha- they do challenge each other. So from what I uh, understand is that obviously Dean now has control of all the every, all footballing matters, and it's really about whether or not him and the chairman can agree on the budgets and agree on on the on the, on the players that come in and what he's prepared to pay for each player as they come in. So, but in, but the thing is, that at least in that respect, I know that Dean has got a vision of what he wants. He's got people in place to to do his scouting. Um, he likes to look at the players himself, and I think. Now he's got a chance to recruit a lot of players early doors. This will be where we really can judge him. So I think next, I think the beginning of next season is, is where we can really see what Dean's all about, and and where and whether or not, and whether or not we're in a good in a good place. John, what are your what are your thoughts on that then in terms of the structure? I mean, I think one thing that we've struggled with for a long time, and last season was just a continuation of it, was finding a kind of consistent setup and structure. Um, and sticking with it. So you've seen it in the past, and you saw it, of course, with the whole director of football thing, it looks like that model's got shelved. We've seen it in the past too, when we were kind of, at one point we had an academy that was churning out sort of young, technically good, not very physical, tippy-tappy players, and then we were trying to integrate them into a first team run by Martin Allen, who was playing a very different style of football and looking for a different style of players, and the two things didn't match up. And we've kind of seen it, I guess, as well over time with when we're in the league, we've tended to go for a model of having an academy and developing our own players. We drop out of the league, the parachute payments stop, we shut down the academy and then our whole recruitment model as a club seems to change. And I think these are all examples of where we just don't really have a kind of consistent medium term plan um, that we seem capable of sticking to. And I just hope now that with um, Dean Brennan at the helm, he's got some elements which are quite exciting, like trying to recruit players with a very data analytics focus. He looks like he's got a particular type of profile of player he's looking for. I just hope that we're able to build a structure around that and put something in place that endures for two or three years, because I think those kind of backroom structures take time to bed down. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I think it's just about it's such a fine balance and we said this a question i asked i think to dean back in november man was around you know how 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 much of an eye can you keep on next season compared to this season and he said you know it's not a 50 50 split it's a it's a 90 10 you know 90 percent of, of football is your next game and you can have all the long-term and medium-term plans you want um but ultimately if you're losing games on the pitch you know winning or losing five games in a month makes all the difference and you know while i think as a club we can have a longer term view um, at least for you know Brennan, if he is the the manager, it's going to be very very difficult for him to have anything other than a very short term view because you know pro- predominantly he's being judged for the immediate results on the pitch, which he probably wasn't when he was director of football. He was just slightly removed from that. Another question that's come up in in various guises is to do with finances, and I think it's probably worth addressing um, this. I mean, Barnet as a, as a club, I guess is it's certainly not necessarily an affluent club insofar as you know. Football is, is, you know, it's difficult to judge and make judgments about a fan base based on, um, you know, very limited data. But, you know, we're probably perhaps slightly better positioned in, in the area of London that we're in to weather some of the more financial pressures that perhaps fans and supporters of other clubs might be facing over the next 
uh, year or so. We are seeing, though, unfortunately, um, you know, a bit of a cost of living crisis and, you know, football becoming more expensive. That's kind of going on in one side. On the other side, we've got a kind of perhaps a long term frustration set of resentments around pricing issues in terms of match day pricing, in terms of parking, in terms of like getting hold of replica kits and so on and so forth. Um, so I guess, Mem, first of all, like a couple of questions here, people asking about, um, I guess, first of all, like let's talk about the supply side of the money. So, you know, the kind of season ticket costs and the pricing and so on and so forth and trying to find that balance between good value for money that gets people through the door, but also making sure that we're providing ourselves a competitive budget. Where where do you think we're at in terms of that sort of side of things uh, financially as a club? And then following on from that, in terms of budget, um, a couple of questions here about whether or not we've got a, a budget that's going to be good enough to compete in this league. And if not, why not? Should I address the budget first? Yeah, if, yeah do it that way around if you'd like to. Okay, so um, I've been privy to some a little bit of information so around the budget. So the budget for the next season is going to be slightly less than this season. But the difference, the way that the, the, the budget is going to be structured is that, from what I understand, the players' contracts are going to be heavily incentivized. So around team performance, around team goals, team objectives. And there'll be elements of individual sort of, um, there'll be some individual aspects to it as well. But the idea being is, is that a player will come in and they'll earn a base salary. So the base salary is going to be, will come up to slightly less than the budget. It's not actually that dramatically different from what I've been told. So it is slightly less, but that will be the base budget, base uh, base uh, base pay, and then the players will earn. But on top of that, for certain objectives that are put in place, so wins, clean sheets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they a goal scored, you know that kind of thing. So. Um, all the team are basically being um, or are going to be will could earn much much more than their salary if they perform on the pitch. If they don't, they'll get a box. And it basically essentially is like like salesman. You know, you base base you know, and then you get your commission on top. So your commission is only going to be as good as as you know as your performance. So I actually quite like that idea because I don't want players coming here for a payday. And just you know, like maybe sort of seeing out their career and coming in for a payday. I like the idea to make them hungry to be to be fighting, knowing that if they don't get if they if, if they're going in the last minute of a game and and you know and two nil up, that they're going to fight for every single ball because they know that they've got money riding on it if they get the clean sheet. So yeah, that's that, so that's the first bit. And then you were saying about the. Well, I think a big part of that is obviously we talked about and obviously talked about my sport association hat on as well. We are uh, we are uh, making it made it really clear to the club that we want safe standing in that south stand, and I think you could link that to some kind of you know reduced price by having a you know safe standing in in that in that area. I do think twenty three pounds is too expensive for a rock up on the day. Um, it's it's kind of a difficult one because I'm I'm in this really strange situation in that I have a season ticket which I pay something like thirty five pound a month for. When you work it out at the end of the season, it is a lot of money. I mean, thirty five pound a month the way it's divided every month makes it a lot more like a lot more affordable for me. So I don't really notice the the fact that actually at the end of the season I'm paying a lot more than some championship clubs are asking for the season ticket. 
Um, but the flip side is, is I probably don't go to enough games to justify a season ticket um, just because of, you know, all my um, uh, all the things I have to do with my family. But at the same time, paying £23 a game makes it, you know, it makes me want, like, there's, there's, there's no in-between. And I think Sam uh, Collins has brought this up um, uh, before about the fact that there's no membership anymore. So, so yeah, so I'm stuck in, a, in, a, in a, you know, I don't know where, you know, what, what do I do? Do I just cancel my season ticket and just pay per game? But it seems a lot of money, 23 quid every every time I turn up. Um, John, perhaps if you'd like to sort of address those two then, I guess, first of all, in, in terms of the, the playing budget and then second of all, in terms of the, the ticketing price, but you can do it whatever way around you'd like. But I'm curious for your thoughts as well on this. Um, I mean, I think in terms of budget, I mean, what I've, I've seen on Twitter, I think Trevor Nell, um, I think I said he thought we'd be about kind of lower mid table in terms of budget. Um, I think that's probably about right. And I think that's probably a reflection of how the conference has changed. Um, we're probably higher up. If that, if that figure is true, then I expect that means we're higher up in budget terms in the quotes budget league table than we are in the, in the crowds league table. Um, so I worry a bit whether Tony is, is going to just try and hunker down for a couple of seasons because he looks at lots of teams with lots of money in the conference. I get the sense he's the sort of chairman that, that will, will splash the cash, but only when he thinks there's a good prospect of getting a return on that cash. And I, one fear I've got is that he might look at where we're starting from and where the league is and be a bit reluctant to, to really go for it. I think on the pricing side, um, 23 quid for your cheapest ticket um, is expensive, um, especially for people who, are, if, you're, if you don't have a season ticket and you'll rock up on the day, you're probably going to be a sort of borderline fan. You're not, you're not going to automatically go out of residual loyalty and feel guilty for the rest of the week if you don't come. And I think, as Mem said, bringing in safe standing is, is really good. It just gives people a lower cost option. I think I might do a little bit more as well in terms of um, really cheap tickets for kids. I think, A, you, you hook kids in young, they're fans for life. Kids normally then come with their parents, so you get you get a couple of paying adults there as well. The other thing I think the club could think about is some sort of, I think it was suggested this morning, I think I saw it on Twitter, um, it might have been the downhill second half, guys talked about doing like a special offer for the first five games of the season. Um, something like that where it's it's a good deal, someone's not committing for a whole season, but they might come along for you know, the first four or five games, get a few people extra in at the start. I think that could be an option. And then the final thing I think is, um, maybe we'll come on to this later, but for that 23 quid, I think there's easy and simple things the club could do to improve the fan experience. And that doesn't mean you have to lower the price, but it might put extra people on the gate because people feel they're getting a bit more for their money. Sure. So it's, it's it's about I think yeah I think the key thing there is really value for money and I think you know there there are kind of quite comical gripes perhaps around school boards and you know food and you know beer and all this stuff but at the same time I think if you if you do change that transaction too much towards being a you know a customer rather than a supporter um, it is only right that people begin to sort of expect or demand or conceive the relationship as the club as being much more transactional. Um, and I think that does come certainly with its limitations um, and the, the problems that you've just outlined there in terms of people being disappointed with the, 
you know, with, with the standard of service, not least the football, but the, the, the service around it on offer. Um, and I guess kind of a final few set of questions then that, that have kind of cropped up. And, you know, Trevor, who we just mentioned there with his, his excellent uh, blog, talks about, um, you know, the extent to which Tony is, is you know, Tony Clance, the chairman, is still really interested and passionate in about driving things forwards. I think you made a really interesting point there, John, about potentially hunkering down. And I can actually see the merits of that approach to some extent, right? Because I think it is going to be extremely difficult, certainly this season, hopefully less so next season. But you've got big clubs in this league, you know, your South Ends, your Yeovils, um, you know, your you know, sides that are coming down. But obviously you've got Notts County, etc., um, who are going to be pushing up at the top of that league. And it feels like there's a bit of a clearinghouse to go through before, you know, you can kind of get to sub- clubs that are our size. But we, we perhaps mentioned as well, Mem, that a few years ago, that there was perhaps a little bit of a spark lost and a bit of a engagement lost from, from you know, Tony in the club and, you know, felt a bit sort of frustrated that things weren't quite working out the way he'd want it to. So uh, where do you kind of sense, Mem, and, and obviously you've been privy to perhaps more communication with the club than, than John and I have, where do you sense the kind of passion and drive and desire is from, from those at the top and, you know, do you feel that there's a real hunger to get this club out of the league or is it kind of a case that we're just going to put some stuff in place and you know do what's required and, and then see where things pan out? It's an interesting one because a lot of the, a lot of the uh, contact we've been having is, has been a lot through Dan Martin. So Dan Martin really seems to be sort of day-to-day sort of looking after um, sort of driving the club forward and he seems to be very driven to to improve things um, and to try and, you know, work with the sport association. So it's difficult to know really, because I've not spoken to, I've not had a meeting with TK myself for a while. Um, and we are trying to arrange one with the sport association um, for over the summer. But it, a lot of the stuff has it's pretty much been, you know, all of our, most of our meetings have been done now with Dan and he's been the one that's basically driving things forward. So a lot of the improvements actually um, have been Dan sort of going, this is what needs to happen, and going to TK saying we're doing this. Um, from what I understand, so um, yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, I just think that when you think about how many businesses TK owns, he he, it's very. It must be he can't be concentrate concentrating on fully on Barnet all the time. But I think what's happened is his daughter Natasha and um, I think his son's called Alex. Is it? They have obviously they're coming of they're coming to an age where both of them are, you know, are are mature enough to actually at some point take over from him. And I think at some point in the future, it might end up into into an episode of uh, might end up being like an episode of Succession where uh, where he plays both of his kids off against each other to um to decide who's going to be the chairman. So um, I'm waiting to see if that if that is the um the reality of the situation. I, I don't know. I mean, actually, I was so gutted, actually, that when we did that interview, Ian, that, um, that I didn't, I had it on my list of questions was, what is the, um, you know, what is the continuity plan? What is the, you know, what is the plan after you? And I never got to ask that question. And and, and I'm just, and I still want to know the answer to that question. So if we ever get in front of him, that will be the answer. The question, the first question I ask him is, what happens when Tony Cleanfoss decides that this club is not, are we, are we, is the Nike rumours true? And to be honest, it looks to me like, it doesn't look to me like a far-fetched rumour because I look at it and think that the whole Nike um, situation around their Nike Academy, the fact that this it could be a little bit like a Red Bull, you know, like a Red Bull situation. You've got a club with a setup like Barnet 
why wouldn't they buy it off TK and then base themselves, call it the Nike Hive Stadium or whatever, and then all of a sudden they've got their own football club and they can bring players through? It makes sense that Nike might be interested. And in some respects, wouldn't that be a bit... Wouldn't be about wouldn't that be a bad thing to sort of wouldn't be a bad thing to have to for us to for a TK to sell to them. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're probably opening up a conversation we we don't have time to do justice to right at this moment in time. But you're right; it, it does raise a set of interesting questions around the long term future and the sort of yeah, just the kind of general sense of direction which I think people have questions about. And I, I do think you know again we we cover this ground a lot, but there does probably need to be some clarity around the question of our location right you know and, and kind of what the plans are around that and um yeah i think that there are questions that <laughs> we don't have time to go into right now but but certainly do need answering and um, i guess John, a couple other questions that have kind of cropped up here then in terms of improvements that people would like to see off the pitch i mean we talked a little bit about player welfare in the past and, and so on and so forth and and you know injury records and um, as we sort of look to wrap this up then it, it, we've got a couple of months now until the season begins in earnest uh, for 2022-2023. What sort of things would you sort of like to see happen over the next few months, um, you know, aside from necessarily recruitment, etc., that would suggest that we're going to be in a better place this season than than, uh, than we have been for the last few, few years, John? Um, I mean, I think there's a few simple things the club can do just in terms of improving fan engagement. Um the comms over the summer. Um, I don't know if the, the media person sort of gets um, you know um, furloughed over the summer or whether it's just changing personnel. But the club's social media tends to go quite quiet over the summer. Um, often the kit seems to not come out with much uh, with much notice. Um, sort the kind of season ticket collection out. That's always a big thing as a fan. Um, I'm always should be excited, um, or you know, or, or maybe I'm just mad to be renewing my season ticket. But last year, I remember the week before having to sort of tweet the club about how am I going to get my ticket, and then try and get somebody to arrange to pick the season tickets up because the club weren't doing collections on the day. So I think sorting some of those things out. Um, I think a bit more comms around the plans for the future. Um, it would be great to hear from Tony what his ambition is for next season. Maybe, I know it's putting your head on the block, maybe, but maybe actually a target from Tony saying, here's where I'd like to be next year. Um, and, um, and get the release list out as soon as possible. I think for fans, that really helps fans move on. It really shows the clubs on the front foot. Um, and I think, yeah, maybe a bit more clarity about um, the longer term strategy of the club. Um, because I think sometimes um, in the past, I've mentioned before, we've chopped and changed a bit our medium term strategy and we're trying to be different things. And I think a bit more clarity there would be really good. Yeah, I think I think clarity and structure um, and kind of, you know, uh, I think will be absolutely key. I think we, we kind of asked for the same, the same things um, before every single season and hopefully we can kind of keep moving in the right direction and um, well we know that there are a few things in the pipeline and um, i guess before we wrap up then uh, from your end anything from the sort of supporters association that you want to share with with people before we we head off for the summer yes um so yeah firstly um obviously we're looking for people to put themselves forward for the support association i well my intention is to to step down i only ever said i'd do it to help set up the support association again and and then once it's un once it's under you know underway, step aside. Um, so we would like a, a group of people to put themselves forward because it'd be nice to actually have a proper election where we could choose 
people based on what they propose they want to do. So, yeah, but I, you know, I implore people who want to get involved. Um, it's not, it, 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 just so people understand, we're not, you know, we, we are regularly sort of in contact, but we're not sort of having like meetings every week and stuff. It's just checking in and stuff a lot of the time. And we do a lot of our sort of, we contact Dan Martin quite a lot for all the different things. So, yeah, if anybody's concerned about all the different, um, you know, the, the time it might take, then it, it's not going to take you tons of time. Um, I'm stepping aside just basically so I can um, sp speak very freely on here. So, um, and um, and also in some respects, um, just, you know, it was never an intent, it was never my intention to, to do it long term. So, so yeah, so somebody please come and take my space. Um, <laughs> But yeah, hopefully we're trying to get a Q&A sorted out with TK um, before the season starts. So that, that'll be one of the things on the list of things. And we're going to try and redecorate the Legends Bar during the pre-season. So we're looking for volunteers for that as well. Fantastic. Well, um, guys, thank you so, so much for uh, spending your evening talking about Barnet um on the show uh we'll probably do a, a pre-season preview pod um we, we definitely will um looking ahead once we've got through the summer um but until then i just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's been listening this season thank you for all your comments thank you for uh sticking with the team and um you know we really enjoy doing this we really enjoy talking about the club that we love but most importantly we love sort of you know just sharing our thoughts and and taking feedback from you guys and um, yeah, we just really, really appreciate all the support that we get. Um, but I'd just like to say, first of all, massive thank you to John for putting up with me and Mem uh, for another evening. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Um, and obviously, Mem, a <laughs> and then a, a huge, huge thanks to you as well um, for all the work you put in this season, both with the with the podcast, but also with the essay. And I think, you know, I speak on behalf of, I think, almost every single Barnet fan where we're like, it's fantastic that we've got much better representation than we had in the past. That can only be a good thing. And, you know, you've done a, a great job in setting that up um, and, you know, as is everyone in, involved and we look forward to having you back full time on the pod uh, next season uh, but gents uh, it, all it rains me uh, to say is uh, have a lovely summer and to all our listeners um, enjoy the time off enjoy uh, not worrying too much about uh, the results um, that are around us at the table um, and that goes to all the Worldstone fans who I'm sure are listening as well because they do like to uh, follow Barnet as much as they do their own club we cannot wait to see the double over the next season um, but until then uh, have yourselves a lovely summer and we look forward to speaking to you at the start of next season thank you and goodbye